Welcome to the Rolling Hills Sermon Podcast. The Rolling Hills Sermon Podcast aims to bring the sermon from our Sunday morning service to you each and every week. We're currently in our sermon series, Next. The best is yet to come. For the past 20 years of Rolling Hills, we have seen God do more than we could ever imagine. Countless lives have been impacted for eternity. Many have professed their faith through baptism. Adults and children have grown in their faith through discipleship. Campuses have been launched in communities all throughout Middle Tennessee. And the vulnerable and the least have been served throughout the world. God has shown up time and time again, and now we faithfully look ahead to what is next for His church, knowing that it's not about us and our future, but about God and His perfect plan. Our prayer is that this will be a season that we look back on and see as one where God grew and stretched His people in ways He never has before. We're believing we will see restored relationships, miracles happen right before our eyes, radical salvations, and prodigals returning home. We believe for all of this and more. In this series, we're walking through the book of Nehemiah and how God's call on His people in that day is one He still has for us in 2023. May He find us faithful as we step forward, trusting that the best truly is yet to come. So listen in as we jump into what the Lord has for us today. Well, good morning to each and every one of you. Welcome to fall where you freeze to death in the morning and you're going to be sweating here in a couple hours. So, but isn't it awesome? I and mean, what a beautiful day that we get to be together here in the house of the Lord. And I'm so thankful that you are here with us today. I'm especially thankful for all of you who are with us for the very first time today. Just know that it means the world to us that you're here, or maybe you're a second time guest and just your presence here is just so, so special and important to us. And uh, perhaps someone invited you. And I just want to say thank you for saying yes to that invitation and for all of you who are inviting people all the time to come to church, thank you for doing that. Uh, we really appreciate that, and our hope and our prayer uh, is that you would experience the love of Christ this morning, and you would experience the joy that comes with knowing Jesus, and it just, again, means uh, so much to me and to all of our staff and our core team that you're here with us this morning. Now, depending on your wiring, some of you really enjoy working by yourself, and some of you really enjoy working with a team of people. Now, there's a lot of benefit to working by yourself, isn't there? Because if you work for yourself, or if you have a job where you are kind of the boss and the HR manager and custodian and everything else, uh, you know that there's something that's kind of cool about that because you answer to whom? Yourself. Meaning that if things do not go so well, you really also have only one person to blame in those moments. And maybe you love that. And then there's a group of us that prefer the opposite. We're much more comfortable with a team of people. We like the camaraderie that comes with the team. We like the fact that there are other people that can kind of take our ideas and help flesh those out. And depending on the day and the project, I'm a fan of both. Sometimes I just do enjoy working by myself. I like to kind of go into the hole and just figure it all out on my own. Why do we like to do that? Because let's just be real. Not everybody does things the way we want it done, correct? And if I'm in charge, then I get to do it the way that I know it needs to be done, or I think it should be done. But then there's times when I realize, and this happens very often, there's times when I quickly realize that the tasks are just too big 
for me. And the projects are just too nuanced, and you need other people. You need other people's ideas. And you bring something to the equation, and vice versa, they bring something to the equation. And this tension that many of us have felt is precisely what unfolds in Nehemiah chapter 3. In Nehemiah chapter 3, where we're studying today, we're in this series called Next, where we're looking at the book of Nehemiah, but we're also just praying and thinking through what's next for us in the 20, year, 20 years in the life of our church. But there's a tension that you see here in Nehemiah chapter 3 between doing everything yourself and depending on other people. Now, just to catch you up, because many of you are with us for the very first time today, or if you're like me, you need a refresher course every week as to where we are in the book of Nehemiah. And so we're in this book of the Bible called Nehemiah, and it's a fantastic book of the Bible. And this guy named Nehemiah is an Israelite who has spent the last several decades prior to what's happening in this text in Babylon. And he was in Babylon because the Israelites were taken captive by Nebuchadnezzar and the Babylonians. And for the past several decades, they've been under Babylonian rule. But in waves, they have been allowed to return to Jerusalem to rebuild the temple. Uh, Ezra led out in that charge. But not only have they been rebuilding the temple, but they've been rebuilding their lives and rebuilding worship. And then enter Nehemiah. Nehemiah comes onto the scene to help rebuild the walls around the city of Jerusalem because the temple had been destroyed. The walls of the city had been destroyed. And God impressed upon Nehemiah's heart to go back, to take another group back with him, and to rebuild the walls of the city so that it would be a fortress, so that it couldn't be under the attacks of enemies anymore, and also just because he didn't want the city lying in ruins, and so he felt compelled to do that. Now, what you need to realize, though, about Nehemiah is that during this time, Nehemiah was actually second in command in Babylon. I mean, he was second in command under King Artaxerxes, meaning that to step down from that to go back to Israel to rebuild the wall, this is a major step in the wrong corporate direction for Nehemiah. This is the people that you look at at your work and you're thinking, you've received a certain level of status and you're leaving that to go to something that is far more manual or far more hands-on, if you will. But Nehemiah was challenged to do so because the Lord had impressed upon his heart something next for him to do. And so he was willing to step out of that comfort zone into something that was far less comfortable to do the work that the Lord had called him to do, which begs a question that we have to ponder ourselves. Are you and I willing to do that? Are we willing to leave what's comfortable to move towards what's next, even if it may not make sense from the world standards, or even if other people would look at you and think that you were somewhat bizarre in doing that. But Nehemiah leads this charge. And at the end of chapter 2, where we were last week, he cast a vision, and the people say, let's go. They're excited, and so he's cast this vision, and then we transition into chapter 3, where the plans are laid and the tasks actually start unfolding. And so we're looking at chapter 3 this morning, but we're going to go back to Nehemiah chapter 2 and pick up in verse 20, and then go all the way through chapter 3, verse 5 this morning. So if you have a Bible, turn with me to the book of Nehemiah. You're going to see a lot of those words printed there for you, and a lot of them are going to be up here on the screen as well. But picking up in Nehemiah chapter 2, verse 20, going all the way into chapter 3, Verse 5, so I answered them by saying, the God of heaven will give us success. We, his servants, will start rebuilding. But as for you, you have no share in Jerusalem or any claim or historic right to it. Now, he's ending there by talking about his, his opposers. There were people who were opposing the work, and he's saying, we're going to rebuild, and you have no right to try to stop us. In chapter 3, 
Eliashab, the high priest, and his fellow priest went to work and rebuilt the sheep gate. And they dedicated and set its doors in place, building as far as the Tower of the Hundred, which they dedicated, and as far as the Tower of Hananel. And the men of Jericho built the adjoining section, and Zakur, son of Imri, built next to him. The fish gate was rebuilt by the sons of Hassanah, and they laid its beams and put its doors and bolts and its bars in place. Merimoth, son of Uriah, the son of Hakaz, repaired the next section. And next to him, Meshulam, son of Berechiah, the son of Sajabel made repairs, and next to him Zadok, son of Benah, also made repairs. And the next section was repaired by the men of Tekoa. But their nobles would not put their shoulders to the work under their supervisors. I'm well aware that none of you have committed Nehemiah 3, 1 through 5 to memory. Those are not our favorite memory verses. You're like, Hashanah, Michelle Zadak. I mean, it's like, what do all of these names mean? In full disclosure, Chapter 3 of Nehemiah is a chapter with a lot of details, and it's a chapter with a lot of names. And if you're like me, sometimes I get to these chapters of the Bible, and I just kind of skim over because I'm like, oh, I don't know what all that means. And so let me get to something that makes more sense to me. Maybe this has happened to you before, where you walk into a hospital or you walk into a museum, and in the rotunda of these museums or in the lobby of a hospital, there's often a wall of names. Have you ever seen this before? And what do those names represent? Those names represent financial donors that have made that place possible. And you may look at those names and you may think to yourself, I know no names up there. But you know that those names are important because those names are what funded the place that you are standing in. Or maybe you are the type of person that really enjoys reading the credits at the end of the movie. I don't know who you are, but maybe there's somebody out there. If my name was in one of those credits, I would probably slow it down so that I could see my name. But when you watch the end of a movie, these names just go at a breakneck speed, and you see all of the titles, and you see that it wasn't just Bradley Cooper that made that happen. It wasn't just Michelle Pfeiffer. There's so many people. There's catering companies, and there's sound, and there's makeup, and there's hair, and there's key grips, whatever that is. I I mean, there's, there's folks that have all of these jobs, and all of those names tell a much bigger story, don't they? They tell a much bigger story of that entire film. And you realize that it takes every person doing their job every person fulfilling their role. Some are more notable, some are more noteworthy, some we recognize, and others are just names on a wall or names in a chapter. But yet, may we never lose sight that all of these names represent men and women who have stepped up to answer the call that God has placed on their lives. And so I'm not going to ask you to commit any of these names to memory today. But I am going to ask you to look at the themes and the lessons that we learn from their obedience, and prayerfully we will glean from them truths that will help us as we seek to be fulfilling what it is that the Lord has in in store for us. And so Eliashab is mentioned, and Eliashab is a high priest, and it says that Eliashab and other high priests, they go to work on the building of the first of many gates around the town. And they rebuild these gates, these openings into the town. And Nehemiah says, after they've built a little bit, they stop to dedicate the work. They build a little bit, and they stop to dedicate. They set a new door in place, and they stop to dedicate. And at first read, we may look at this, and we're like, I get it, Nehemiah. They build, and they dedicate. They build, and they dedicate. They pray, and then they work. But perhaps 
there's a really big lesson we need to learn from just how they operated. Has this ever happened to you before where you have prayed for God to do something in your life? Maybe it's the meeting of a physical need, a financial need, wisdom in some form or fashion, and God actually answers the prayer exactly like you wanted him to answer it. And what do you and I very quickly do? We're just off to the races and forget to stop and thank God for doing what he has done. Has that ever happened to any of you? I know it's happened to me often. I'll hit my knees and I'll say, God, I need help for this difficult conversation that I'm about to have, or I need wisdom in this decision I need to make, and God opens up the floodgates and gives me all the wisdom I need, and then I step right into the conversation, and I'm like, "Mm, peace out, just forgetting to stop and thank him for what he has done. And these priests give us this beautiful picture of not forgetting to thank God for what he has done. And not forgetting to stop and acknowledge and dedicate back to God what he has made known to them. I believe that in our lives and I believe that in our church and certainly in our personal ministry, that as you see here on the screen, action and gratitude should always run on parallel tracks in our lives, shouldn't they? Action and gratitude should always run on parallel tracks, meaning that I work a little bit and then I stop and thank God for the work that I was able to do. I work a little bit, and I stop and dedicate back to God what he has already done. I see a project to completion, and before I move on to the next project, I stop to express my gratitude to God for his wisdom or for him allowing me to be a part of it. The Bible speaks of this from start to finish over in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 18. The Apostle Paul says to give thanks in all circumstances. For this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. What is Paul saying here? He's saying that part of my understanding of the will of God for my life is to give thanks in everything. That there should be an expression of gratitude in my life. A manifestation of the understanding of God's will for my life is for me to express gratitude. To dedicate and to thank God for what it is that he has done. Maybe you and I need to build a better rhythm into our lives of this. Instead of just being so busy, we need to stop perhaps more frequently and thank God for what he has done to dedicate it, if you will, back to him. And they're giving us the beautiful picture. Eliashab and the high priest are showing the people how they are to work, meaning that we have to glean that wisdom from him as well. Thank you, God, for what you have done. And that dedication, it keeps you going, doesn't it? And that thanksgiving helps you to understand it's not about you, but it's about God working in and through you. But if you head back to verse 5, you see that not everybody was as excited about the work as Eliashab was. The next section was repaired by the men of Tekoa, but their nobles would not put their shoulders to the work under their supervisors. In the text, it says that these nobles of Tekoa, they weren't interested in putting their hands to the plow. They were not interested. Now, this is a stark contrast to the noble Nehemiah, Nehemiah is royal as well. And what is he doing? He's not allowing this work that could be beneath him to prevent him from being a part of the work. He says, I want to be involved. See, in our individual worlds, may we never lose sight of the power of being hands-on, not getting so important or so lofty that we forget the position of serving people and the posture of being a chief servant. It appears here in this situation that many people wanted to be involved. These nobles of Tekoa were not that interested, but there are many people who wanted to be involved as evidenced by a lot of these names that I'm getting ready to stumble through here in just a second as we keep reading in Nehemiah chapter 3 verses 6 through 8 down through uh, verse 12. 
The Jeshanah gate was repaired by Joada, son of Pisea, and Meshulam, son of Basidea. And they laid its beams and put its doors with their bolts and bars in place. And next to them, repairs were made by men from Gibeon and Mizpah, Melatiah of Gibeon and Jadon of Maranoth, places under the authority of the governor of Trans-Euphrates. Uziel, son of Harhiah, one of the goldsmiths, repaired the next section. And Hananiah, one of the perfume makers, made repairs next to that. And they restored Jerusalem as far as the broad wall. Down to verse 12. Shalom, son of Halasheh, ruler of a half district of Jerusalem, repaired the next section with the help of his daughters. I'm going to ask you to please hold your applause to the end at my ability to get all that out there. Uh, I'm sure that there is some Hebrew scholar in the room that's saying, you're pronouncing those all wrong. But uh, I do appreciate your grace and mercy in my attempt to stumble through that. But did anything jump out to you about some of these titles, about some of these roles that these people play? Did you notice some of the groups that were doing work together? Nehemiah says, I had goldsmiths and I had construction workers. I had perfume makers, there were men, there were women, there were priests, there were royals, there were servants, and they were all working together on the rebuilding of the wall. Isn't that a beautiful picture? I love that picture because it's Nehemiah showing us it takes the whole community to accomplish this task. It's not just the job of the goldsmith. It's not just the job of the royal. It takes everyone, regardless of what skill you have, surrendering yourself to God. Now, in full honesty, if I'm rebuilding a wall, the last person I'm probably going after is the perfume maker. I mean, what are they going to do? You know, anoint the wall with oil? Or everybody's kind of stinking a little bit, and so they're like, praise God, the perfume maker's here. You know, he can bring some sweet-smelling spices because this situation is really, really atrocious. But it didn't matter because the perfume maker had caught the vision that Nehemiah had put in front of them and joined the rebuilding efforts. See, regardless of your skill, regardless of what talents you may have or what lack of talent you may feel like you have, in the book of Nehemiah chapter 3 specifically, you see, as noted here on the screen, that you're not exempt from being a part of God's work. You and me are not exempt from being a part of God's work. Now, sometimes we exempt ourselves, and we say, you know what, I'm too old for that. Or we say, I'm too young for that. Or we say, I'm too experienced for that, or I'm too inexperienced for that. I'm too important for that type of service, or I'm not important enough for that type of service. However, you and I have a task, and if we're not careful, we will allow those exemptions to stand in the way of what God wants to do. And when we exempt ourselves from the working of God, we miss some incredible blessings that the Lord has in store for us. I want you to hear this morning a story from a guy in the life of our church named Jay Williams. And Jay Williams, affectionately in the life of Rolling Hills, is known as Papa Jay. And Papa Jay made a very conscious choice at a season in his life to say, you know what, I don't want to be exempt from the work of God. I don't want to be exempt, but rather I want to be all in for the workings of God. So I want you to take just a couple minutes and look at at Papa Jay's story because I think you're going to be encouraged by it. Take a look. God's pointing at each one of us and he's saying, I want you to serve. You know, it doesn't take a special skill. Don't be afraid, you know. There's nothing to be afraid of. I have yet to have even little kids. No one's bit me yet. So <laughs> you, won't get, you, you won't get bit doing this, I hope. I won't, can't promise that. But, you know, it's one of those things, if you do, suffering for Jesus, take it and go. My oldest son 
gave me a t-shirt that says, my name is Papa because I'm way too cool to be called grandfather. And the freshman year with my guys at camp, we had a, a young intern who was 20 and they said, man, we gotta have a different name. You can't just be Mr. J and Evan. Why don't we call him dad and we'll call Mr. J granddad. Well, one of the kids said, wait a minute. He's got that shirt that says, my name is Papa. I'm way too be cool to call grandfather. So why don't we just call him rather than Mr. J? Why don't we go to Papa J? So that's where that came from. Why at almost 70 am I still doing this? Man, what a question. Just because we turn 65 or 70 or 80 doesn't mean you can't serve anymore. The call to serve doesn't have a retirement date built in. I didn't see Jesus say, go and make disciples until you turn 65 and then you can go play golf. You know, we're, we're called to serve and I don't think it ends. And it doesn't require a gift of teaching or hospitality or, you know, all the spiritual gifts that are out there. You know, it, it's, it's called availability. But you know, it's not hard to stand at the door and say hello, open the door for somebody. My desire is to bring people in that will love, to, that love being at our church. We are very fortunate to have phenomenal Bible teachers that can share and teach God's Word to us. We have phenomenal worship. You know, I want to see that continue. But the future is those people behind us. It's those kids in the pre-K program. If we don't pour them, our lives into those people, there is no future for our church. They are the future, and that's where the focus needs to be. I got on you know, Connect Camp's Instagram page, and they had a banquet at the end of the summer. 500, I think, four young people gave their life to Christ through Connect Camps this summer. 46 of those were here at Rolling Hills. You want a reason why you should serve? Come be a part of that. Come share the gospel. I mean, there's nothing like sitting with a young man or a young woman who says, yes, I would like to learn what it means to ask Christ to come into my life. It will change your life forever. I want to be Papa Jay when I grow up. I think to myself, here is this amazing man of God who at 70 years old said, I'm not going to make life about myself but rather I'm going to pour into the lives of this next generation. And Papa Jay shows up every week to work with kids and teenagers. He goes to every kid's camp and every student camp that we have throughout the course of the summer. I go to a lot of those as well, and by the end of the week, I am royally exhausted. But yet Papa Jay, at 70 years old, intentionally has chosen to make his life about investing in what's next. He's a hero of the faith. I look out across this room and I see many other heroes of the faith, people who have said, you know what, I'm not going to allow myself to be exempt from the work of God. And as we're going through this text, you see time and time again the importance, these names that represent men and women who are serving and who are putting themselves in a position to say, God, whatever it is that you want to do, I will be faithful. In fact, one of the words that you see time and time again in this passage of Scripture is next, you see them being passionate about what's next, but you also see them sharing in the context of literally they were working next to people. Go back and read Nehemiah chapter 3. Stumble through all the names and you will see such and such worked next to. Person 1 worked next to person B. They built this gate. There's somebody with a difficult name A working next to somebody that has a difficult name B that I don't know how to pronounce. But why are they doing all this? It's because it's not glamorous. 
because God was in it. And they were passionate about the working of the Lord. In fact, if you go to Nehemiah chapter 3, verse 14, it says that the dung gate was repaired by Malkijah, son of Rechab, ruler of the district of Beth Hakaram. He rebuilt it and put its doors with their bolts and its bars in place. Now, you don't need a PhD in ancient Hebrew languages to understand what the word dung means. Some of you guys are like, I wonder if that means what I think it means. It does. There was literally a gate around the walls of Jerusalem, that all of the waste and all of the trash of the city went out one gate. It was an important gate because you don't want that building up in the city. And you have a guy named Malkijah, specifically, who says, I'm going to take that task upon myself, and I will rebuild this gate. And he and others working next to him rebuilt the dung gate. So my question at hand is, who are you working next to? Who are you and I working next to? Are you working next to anyone? Or are you trying to do everything yourself? Or are you relying on and helping others to accomplish a mission that is bigger than you? In fact, this morning, when you look around this room, did you know that the brothers and sisters in this room this morning, these are the people that we should be working next to. The men and women in this room are the ones that you're to lock arms with And prayerfully, some of the people in this room will be people, if you're not working next to anyone, that you can start working next to some of these people. Because this team that God has assembled with our flaws and with our brokenness and with our scars and with our wounds and with our hurt and with our pain, this team of people, the church, Rolling Hills Community Church, our little local congregation, and then the bigger congregations of the, of the global church, capital C Church, all around the globe. We are the team that God has assembled to be a part of really life-giving work. And so as you look across this room this morning, may you realize not everybody in the room is like me. Not everybody sees the world exactly like I do. Not everybody's background is exactly like mine. But neither were the perfume makers and the goldsmiths and the royals and the servants and the men and the women and Nehemiah. He brought them all together, and they accomplished something that was so significant. And so this morning, I want to do something that um, is going to make the extroverts in the room really, really happy, okay? So if you're extroverted, you're going to love the next 30 seconds. And if you're introverted, you're probably going to send me a mean email later, and that's okay. Actually, you're so introverted, you're probably not going to do that because you're like... That takes a lot of boldness to do that. So I want you to do something this morning because this is the team. You're on this team together. And you, of course, don't know everybody in this room. But what I want you to do for just 30 seconds, as I've never done this in a sermon, so we'll see how it goes. I want you to stand up for just a second, okay? Jared's going to play me some get-to-know-each-other music, okay? And I want you to just find somebody in the room that you've never talked to before. And for 30 seconds, just introduce yourself and tell them a little bit of a fact about your life. Ready, set, go. kind of fun. Um, for all of you introverted people, I promise I've never done that. I probably will never do that again. So this is not the type of church that we make you do that every week in the context of the sermon. But why did I ask you to do that? Why did I encourage you to do that? First of all, it's hard to work with the team if you don't know the team. And it's hard to, to be passionate about building community with other people if it's not something that we're starting in our own midst. But beyond that, Why I think it's important is because we're called to do it. I mean, when you go back and look at the life of Nehemiah, what did the the, uh, prophet Nehemiah do? Nehemiah called the Israelites to a demanding task, 
And he called them to a task that many of the naysayers were opposed to, but it was their ability to work together that led them to the rebuilding of the walls of Jerusalem. It was their ability to lock arms and to be next to one another that helped them be successful in this task. And guess who would come into Jerusalem 400 years later after the rebuilding of the wall? 400 years later, Jesus would walk through these gates. And Jesus would stand in the confines of these walls that Nehemiah and his team have rebuilt. But it's not just Jesus who would come into those scenes. I mean, perhaps you remember the story in the book of Acts where Peter stands on the steps of the temple and delivers a sermon where 3,000 people come to faith in Christ and the church is set in motion Praise God for Nehemiah and his team who rebuilt the walls so that the temple could be a place where teaching could happen. See, this who you work next to is so much more important than we can ever begin to imagine the exact same walls that Malkijah and Gibeon and Nehemiah and the perfume makers and the daughters of Shalom built. Jesus would enter through those gates and Jesus would inhabit those walls. It's significant meaning that the work that he has in front of us next is also significant. I hope and pray that you'll take stock of this today. No one person is more important than another in the work of God. No one person is more important than another in the work of God. It takes all of us. If you head back to the text in verses 24 through 26, next to him, Benaiah, son of Hinnadad, repaired another section from Azariah's house to the angle and the corner. And Palau, son of Uzziah, worked opposite the angle and the tower projecting from the upper palace near the court of the guard. Next to him, Padiah, son of Perosh, and the temple servants living on the hill of Ophel made repairs up to a point opposite the water gate toward the east and the projecting tower. You have leaders and servants working together, meaning that a person with an addiction in their past, is not disqualified from the work of God. A person who has a storied background is not disqualified from the work of God. If you've never had an addiction in your past, you're not more important than someone who has. Just because your background may be different from the person in front of you doesn't make either of you more or less important in God's economy. Sometimes we like to rank order people, don't we? We like to look at who we think is more important or who's more valuable. Did you know that that rank ordering comes from us? That never came from God. God never rank-ordered people by the way they looked or by the way their backgrounds or by the struggles that they went through. Jesus, in fact, specialized in using broken figures to accomplish life-giving work. I mean, that was at the heart of Jesus' message. Who did Jesus use? Jesus called tax collectors. Some of the most um, uh, looked-down upon people in society. Jesus dined with sinners and prostitutes, and he used his disciples who did not have a really good lineage to accomplish the work that we are now products of. Jesus called hated people into his work, and he saved them, and he redeemed them, and through Jesus Christ, the same thing can happen in our lives, and through the power of the gospel, God can use you and I, and he can save us, and he can change us, and he can use us as he sees fit for a very important work, but we need each other, There's a mutual need, but there's also a mutual sense of brokenness. And I'm broken and you're broken, but we have a Savior who binds us together and a Savior who connects us. And what's played out when all this happens? What's played out when all this happens here in this text and what will happen in our lives is that walls, both physically and figuratively, will be built or rebuilt. 
ministries, communities will be changed. And this text, Nehemiah chapter 3, hopefully encourages us that you always accomplish more together than you do alone. You always accomplish more together than you do alone. See, this story continues to build, and it gets even better in the remaining chapters. But what happened in Jerusalem could have never been solely on the shoulders of Nehemiah. He could not have done this work all on his own. What's next in the life of Rolling Hills Community Church? It's not about just you, and it's not about just me. But what can happen together when you and I bring our gifts and we bring our talents and we bring our resources to the table, and when those intersect with the gifts and the talents and the resources of others, something so significant happens because of the work of the Holy Spirit. In 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 13 through 20, listen to what Paul said about this. In 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 13 through 20, he says, For we are all baptized by one Spirit, so as to form one body, whether Jew or Gentile, slave or free, and we were all given the one Spirit to drink. Even so, the body is not made up of one part, but of many. Now, if the foot should say, Because I'm not a hand, I don't belong to the body, it would not for that reason stop being part of the body. And if the ear should say, Because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason stop being a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be. But in fact, God has placed the parts in the body, every one of them just as he wanted them to be. If they were all one part, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, but one body. And scroll down to verse 27. Now you are the body of Christ, and each one of you is a part of it. Paul gives us this picture. It's a picture that Nehemiah was painting. It's a picture that Nehemiah was showing us, and then Paul picks up and says that in the church, we have to follow suit. He says, because we are the body of Christ, and how can the eye look at the foot and say, I'm more important than you? Or how can the hand look to the ear and say, I'm more important than you? See, no one person or no one part is more important in the work. We are the body of Christ, and we are all a part of that. And my prayer is that 100% of us would say, you know what, I want to be involved. I want to be involved in what's next. And I pray that we would understand that urgency and that we would make a determination here and today to say, you know what, I want to rebuild like all of these groups did. And I want to be a part of something that's so life-giving. I don't want to let pride. I don't want to let struggles. I don't want to let my story or the perceived lack of skills that I have get in the way of God using me. This is a beautiful picture. It's a picture of royals next to construction workers and women next to men and perfume makers next to priests, building something that they could not physically do by themselves. And I believe one of the reasons that they were successful in rebuilding the wall, spoiler alert, they rebuild it. I believe one of the reasons they were successful is they didn't really care who got the credit. It wasn't about whose name gets on the wall. It wasn't about who's most important. It wasn't about who received the award, but rather the role that every person I mean, think about what could happen in our church if we didn't care who was glorified as long as God was. What could happen in your life? What could happen in your personal ministry if you didn't care who got the credit? What could happen in our midst if we just simply said yes to what it is that God wants to do? Praise God, many before us have said yes, and many after us will say yes, but right now it's our time to say yes to what it is that the Lord wants to do. It takes the whole community of believers working together, and I cannot wait to see what God is going to do as we simply say yes to him for whatever it is that he has for us next. Thank you for listening to the Rolling Hills Sermon Podcast. 
be sure to share this episode with any friends and family in your life who may benefit from it. And make sure you subscribe to be notified so you never miss a sermon. If you're interested in learning more about Rolling Hills, download Church Center, our Rolling Hills app. Follow us on social media or visit our website at rollinghills.church. The Rolling Hills Sermon Podcast is a part of the Rolling Hills Podcast Network, available on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and Google Podcasts. Thanks for tuning in.